Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Salmon fishing is canceled this year, all of it, from northern Oregon down to the Mexico border. That was the decision that the Pacific Fishery Management Council handed down after seeing the brutally low levels of the fish population. The situation has been dire, but we're learning that there are levels to dire. Salmon have long and varied lives, so they're good indicators for both our river and ocean ecosystems. If the salmon are in this much trouble, what's that mean we need to do to ensure the future of this biosphere? We know climate change is a piece of the puzzle, but so is the management of our scarce water resources. We're talking salmon, climate, the fishing industry, and big ag after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. There are many fish in the waters inside and off the coast of California, but few have the commercial and cultural value of salmon. So we decided to take this moment, when all salmon fishing has been forbidden for the year, to look at how climate change, severe weather, and human behavior are exacerbating the challenges California salmon face. This is our latest installment of Climate Fix, our monthly collaboration with the KQED science team, where we examine global warming and solutions. Joining us from that KQED science team, we have Danielle Venton. Welcome. Good morning. We're also joined here at the start by Jonathan Rosenfeld, PhD and science director at San Francisco Baykeeper. Welcome, Jonathan. Good morning, Alexis. Um, Daniel, let's uh, start off with you. Can you just sort of explain the news here about what's happening with salmon fishing? Yes, absolutely. Um, and first, I just want to acknowledge that I lost my voice over the weekend, so I'm not sounding my best. <laughs> we appreciate your courage at this listeners. difficult time. Yeah. yeah. But what is happening is the Pacific Fisheries Management Council, Council, which is a federal commission that oversees West Coast fisheries, is recommending that Chinook salmon fishing off the coast in the ocean is totally halted until next spring. That's both commercial and recreational fishing. That still needs to be approved by the National Marine Fishery Service um, by middle of next month, but it's it's a done deal. There's, there's no salmon this year. Yeah. I mean, has this ever happened before? 
Yes, uh, this last happened back in 2008 and 9 when there was also um, very poor predictions for the number of Chinook salmon that would return to the Sacramento River. And it was really devastating for the industry. So just because I think it's important to understand the numbers now kind of reflect our conditions of the past. Can you talk to us a little bit about that salmon life cycle and what's happening? You know, we remember there was a drought these last few years. Is that really what's causing these bad numbers? You know, salmon populations have in California have been in decline uh, since the middle of last century when a lot of dams were built on rivers in the Central Valley. Um, 90% of salmon spawning habitat has been lost. So it's really river conditions that are driving their rough times more more than ocean conditions. I mean, these are resilient fish when they get a chance. But with climate exacerbated droughts, that limited water is really putting them into a worse pinch point. These are amazing creatures that just have this incredible life cycle. They're, they're born from eggs in small rivers and tributaries. Um, they, they grow up and the, they swim down river. Uh, they're not strong enough to swim against the current. They kind of follow down the river. They spend some time uh, growing up in rivers and estuaries. And then they have this incredible transformation where they're able to live in salt water, which would be like you or I being able to live on a, you know, the atmosphere of a different planet, like on yeah. Mars or something. Right. They fatten up in the ocean for a couple of years. They're food for, for whales. Uh, they're, they're wonderful fish to catch. You know, they're delicious and healthy. They, they, they're the lifeblood of a lot of um, economies and small coastal communities. And then after a couple of years, they feel the call of home and they follow their nose. They can smell their, their home rivers and tributaries. And they, they go upstream. Um, the, the males court the females. After she's made a nest, she lays eggs. A male fertilizes it. She covers the nest with gravel. Uh, and then once they've, done, once they've done their spawning, they give out and they, and they die. But their life cycle is not done there because their bodies feed eagles and bears and, and you know, all the ecosystem, all the plants um, up, in, up, in these, up in these tributaries. Right. Right. There's this tremendous transfer of like oceanic nutrients into the inland forest. Right. Yeah. And it's this uh, kind of beautiful part of just the entire cycle of, the, of yeah. the biosphere. But what's going on this year, I should mention, is that federal researchers are predicting that fewer than 170,000 adult fall Chinook will return to the Sacramento River. There used to be millions, right? Mm. To put that in perspective, that's less than the population of Santa Rosa, (laughs) you know, of uh, salmon waiting to be caught in the ocean. You know, there's also an idea that salmon are really an important kind of indicator species precisely because their lives take them, you know, kind of traveling through the state and the state's oceans. That's right. Yeah. I mean, they are uh, they're the lifeblood of ecosystems in, in a lot of ways and just, you know, very important to both the natural history and the human history of this area. Yeah. You know, John Rosenfeld, this fishing ban is supposed to help the salmon. Um, but there's a lot of other things that are at play here. Right. In particular, the way that we kind of manage our state's rivers. That's right. Um, and I just want to Thank Danielle for that great ode to salmon that she just gave. Uh, <laughs> um, I know with a with a with a hurt voice and everything that sounded beautiful, Danielle. Thank you. Yeah, um, I mean the salmon are 
really very hardy fish, um, and uh, they survive and and colonize every river that reaches the ocean from here uh, all the way up to Alaska and, and, and around the Pacific Rim. And they've managed to survive in all those different environments um, because they're extremely productive. They return to freshwater to spawn, and then they die, as, as Danielle indicated. And the only way that strategy works is if the freshwater environment, our, our rivers and our estuaries, can support successful reproduction every year and, and a good amount of reproduction every year because, you know, the adults are dead, right? So they don't get a second chance. Uh, and they're banking on that freshwater environment being um, really, really good for, for growth. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the Central Valley, uh, there's, there's cold water and that their eggs need to incubate. Uh, there's rushing river flows that carry the juveniles downstream and onto habitats where they can uh, rear, and then they go out into the ocean, and some of them succeed. And they'll return, um, on average, eightfold the number of adults uh, from the previous generation if, huh. if they're not limited by some habitat in fresh water. Um, so they have explosive growth, and they're very adaptable. And the fact that we're losing these populations just demonstrates how poorly we're taking care of our mm. rivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what's happened over the past decades and over the past several years, and particularly uh, uh, in the past four and a half years of the Newsom administration. So we dammed these rivers in the in the 50s and 60s and, you know, all the reservoirs that you know uh, that, you know, support the, the water systems of the, of the urban areas as well as agricultural areas in the, in the Central Valley. You know, those systems have been in place for a long time and they have led these populations into this, you know, long-term decline. Why have things gotten so much worse in this last, you know, five years, as you mentioned during this, as you put it, during the Newsom administration? Right. Well, the, I mean, that just shows how adaptable the salmon are, right? We built dams on all these rivers, lost all that spawning habitat, and yet they still adapted, um, in part because the dams themselves, if there's enough water behind them, then there, w- there will be enough cold water behind them because the more water in the dam, uh, the more the water at the bottom is insulated from the summer mm. heat. So they're, they have the capacity to provide cold water just downstream of the dam where the salmon spawn and, and the salmon have adapted to that. But over, over the decades, our demand for, for, for water, uh, for consumptive uses, drinking water, but mainly agricultural applications, uh, has just increased w- without bounds. I mean, it goes up and down depending on whether it's wet or dry, but there's this steady increase of demand for water, which means that when the reservoirs are full, they're quickly drained to uh, supply you know, ever-increasing fields of almonds, cows, rice, etc. Um, and that doesn't leave cold water behind the dam, and it doesn't leave water in the river to help the salmon on their on their journey as, as juveniles. Like I said, that's the critical phase for them. They're relying on this environment to be uh, hospitable to them so that they can grow and, and then enter the ocean and, and do well there. Over the past several years, um, the state of California has waived the bare minimum regulations for cold water management upstream and for flows down the rivers into the, the Delta and then into San Francisco Bay. Those rules under the Clean Water Act and, and also rules under the Endangered Species Act um, 
are known to be inadequate to protect these fish, right? These are the minimum rules. Science shows they are not adequate. And yet in three of the past three years, uh, the state of California has waived those rules explicitly to deliver more water to, um, to agricultural interests, mainly in the San Joaquin Valley. So what's important, I think, for listeners to understand is that we could manage the system, right, so that the salmon thrive. Like, if the dams came down, that would be good for the salmon, clearly. But there are other uses for those dams, and there's a, a that would be a very complex scenario, um, as we've seen with the uh, attempts to take down the Klamath River dams further north. Um, but we could manage the system in a different way. Yeah, I'm interested in hearing what John has to say about this. I mean, but th- but that is right. I think it's important to remember that this class of fish that we're talking about were born in 2020, uh, and so you know we are reaping the effects of decisions that were made that were made years ago. And you know when there's when there are droughts, there are these there are these pinch points, and decisions are made about what what the priority is. Are we gonna meet, you know, our minimum environmental standards that support native species? Or is water going to be sent to, to you know, orchards that are planted in rows and rows and rows from, from non-native trees um, that are extremely profitable? Uh, John's, yeah. John's documented some of, the, some of those waivers that have happened uh, in the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, you both are exactly right. We it's not an either or. We can have rivers with fish in them, salmon, as well as the other species that are struggling um, to exist in San Francisco Bay and its watershed. We can have those species not be endangered. Uh, we can have fisheries. We can have uh, water quality in the in the delta that supports recreation and and, and swimming uh, and agriculture. But we need to strike a balance, and we're way out of balance. We're talking about how climate change, severe weather, and government policy are exacerbating the challenges that California salmon face. Joined this morning by Jonathan Rosen, the PhD science director at San Francisco Baykeeper, as well as Danielle Venton, science reporter with KQED News. This is our latest edition of Climate Fix, which is Forum's collaboration with the KQED science team to bring you shows on global warming and the solutions that they've been able to find as a, as a society. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about how climate change, government policy are exacerbating the challenges that California salmon face. We're joined by Jonathan Rosenfield, of course, Ph.D. science director at San Francisco Baykeeper, and Danielle Venton, a science reporter with KQED News. We would love to hear from you. Have you been affected by the cancellation of the Chinook salmon fishing season this year? And what do you think California should do to boost salmon populations? Maybe you don't think California should. Give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. Or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum. want to add another uh, voice to our panel here. We've got John McManus, who's a senior policy director at the Golden State Salmon Association. Welcome, John. Good morning. So, John, I assume this is really bad news for the people that you work with. This is really bad news for the people we work with. And it's really bad news for people all up and down the coast and in some inland communities as well that rely on salmon. We've got tens of thousands of people in California whose jobs rely on salmon. We've got hundreds of thousands uh, up in the state of Oregon, believe it or not whose jobs rely on the salmon coming out of the Central Valley that we've been discussing today. Hmm. We've got a lot of fear in uh, many communities among many families who are trying to figure out how they're going to make ends meet this year with no paycheck. You know, one of the things I would point out is those who work in the salmon industry generally are not the types who've got uh, a year or two of extra buffer cash stashed away in the bank. You know, um, John Rosenfield, I was wondering if you could, two things, two questions out of what John McManus was just telling us. One is, how far, like, wh- why are Oregonian fishermen being, you know, affected by what's happening um, in our rivers? Uh, well, let's start there. Yeah, the salmon produced in the Central Valley swim through San Francisco Bay, out the Golden Gate, and and then they're, you know, in the in the search for food in the, in the ocean, and they do uh, travel up the coast, uh, looking for food over the two, three, four years they might spend in the ocean. Uh, and they are the fish, uh, largely, that are caught off the Oregon coast, uh, the southern Oregon coast in particular. Um, and so if we're, the, the fishery is managed to protect weak stocks and uh, weak populations, and if our population is weak, then the fishery is managed to uh, accommodate that. And so the, the closure in Oregon uh, is, is part of what happens here. So, I mean, you are a scientist and you know, an environmental scientist. Did the salmon fishing cause these problems? No. Salmon fishing is a really well-regulated business in, in California. I mean, as you can see, there's low numbers of fish and the fishery is closed. Uh, 2008, the fishery was closed because there were low numbers of fish. Uh, and every year, the fishery is constrained from what it was historically to protect um, winter-run Chinook salmon, which are endangered, spring-run Chinook salmon, which are threatened, uh, and really target this fall run, which which until recently was thri- a thriving run. Um, and it's basically the the fishing is the switch that's easy to turn uh, because it's regulated. Uh, the water management is a is which is the source of the problem uh, is a more difficult nut and uh, really requires political will to enforce the laws that we already have that 
uh, should protect salmon in their in their inland journey in our rivers, estuary in San Francisco Bay. Yeah. John McManus, I mean, this to a lot of the fisher people that you're working with, I mean, does this just feel like just patent unfairness that, you know, your industry hasn't caused these <laughs> problems, but is sort of paying the price for these other mismanagements? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, over the last bunch of years, including the years when this year's adult salmon would have been born, I'm talking about uh, in the spring of 2021, I should say, when they would have been out migrating from the Central Valley to the ocean, we were in Sacramento begging and pleading with the Newsom team to keep water in good condition for salmon. We saw this coming. Mm-hmm. Um, our pleas fell on deaf ears. Um, so, yeah, people are, are very, very upset. I mean, one thing to understand is here in California, we're still living under federal water operation rules, for instance, that govern the operation of Lake Shasta, that were forced on us by the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Um, so why in the world, now that Newsom is in the governor's office, are we still living under Trump rules? I, maybe that's a topic for another day. <laughs> but, yeah, pe- people are upset, bottom line. Yeah, I mean— if we can see this coming, so if you were in spring 2021, you were like, the rivers are not in good condition for salmon to thrive, then spring 2022, I assume, was also bad. So does that mean that we know this is kind of the beginning of a string of bad years until, I guess, a, another year after that? Um, yeah, there's some very worrisome signs. When we look at um, the conditions in the rivers, uh, not only in the spring during the critical outmigration, but also in the fall when the eggs are laid and they've got to be kept below 54 degrees Fahrenheit, the water temperature. We you know, look back at um, the fall of 2022 and we see that there were periods of time when the river temperatures where these eggs were incubating greatly exceeded 54 degrees. Again, within the control of the dam operators. I'll stop there in case John wants to add something to that. Oh, I mean that's that's right, John. I mean we, we can see this coming. We we predicted that it would happen, um, you know. But you can only present the science that there is, which is pretty well known about what these fish need, um, and then rely on regulators to enforce regulations and and frankly to update those regulations because we know that they're they're inadequate to protect these fish. The evidence is is pretty clear on that. Yeah. Daniel Benton, I mean, what is the state government saying about why they've been managing things the way that they've been managing things? Uh, I mean, I would love to hear. I'd love to hear John's take on that. Um, you know, uh, politicians have largely attributed the the poor salmon numbers to the drought, um, and have focused less on the water management aspect of this equation. I mean, I will I will also add that that the state, uh, Governor Newsom, have requested federal financial assistance for um, for this industry. However, the fishermen who I've talked to uh, say that, you know, those those federal disaster efficiency, federal disaster assistance does not cover their losses and that they would much, much rather fish. Um, let's get to uh, our first caller here, Kevin in Napa. Welcome. Yeah, hi. Um, well, I just had a question. It would be interesting to see the data uh, that represents the commercial salmon harvest versus recreation, and then also the revenue that uh, contributes to the state 
from commercial versus recreational, you know, the uh, fishing licenses, that sort of thing. And what those impacts are, because in my opinion, it takes a tremendous amount of resources to, to get out to those fisheries by boat, by personal boat. Uh, and you're lucky if you get, you know, one or two, you're limited to per, uh, per day or person mm-hmm. versus, you know, commercial. And in my experience, when you're out there, really the, the fishing decreases tremendously when the commercial boats are engaging in fishing operations, mm-hmm. almost as if they know, and they just kind of scatter and flee. Um, mm-hmm. So hmm. that's, that's interesting. I mean, w- w- oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, Kevin, really appreciate that, that point, kind of the, the differentiation between, you know, your kind of person out there with a rod and reel. Um, John McManus, um, what, uh, you know, obviously you represent the commercial uh, fishing industry. Um, how do you see the relationship between your industry and the recreational fishermen? Well, just a clarification. We have members who are both commercial and those oh, who are okay. recrea- re- recreational. We also have members who are just in the uh, industry of uh, supplying tackle, boat shops, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. boat harbors, uh, the people who have the marine electronics stores. I mean, it would really be surprising, I think, to listeners to see how far those salmon dollars go. To Kevin's point, the bottom line here is in California, our understanding is the economic output from the recreational sector is greater than that of the commercial sector. But both are main contributors, especially um, to these coastal towns. So getting back to the what I was trying to say in terms of how the dollars spread out, go and talk to the restaurant owner or the motel owner in Bodega Bay, for instance, this summer, or in Half Moon Bay, or down in Monterey Bay, and ask them how they're doing. You don't just have to walk down the dock and talk to people on boats. People in restaurants and hotels will all be feeling the pain this summer. People in the tackle shops and, like I said, all the other businesses that service the industry, both sport um, and commercial, there's there's a lot of money in the industry. We've got people that come from hundreds, perhaps thousands. I don't know that. I do know hundreds of miles, and they spend thousands of dollars to chase salmon. I mean, for many people, it's kind of like going – um, gold panning, you know, you get a salmon, it's like getting a gold nugget. It's, well, it's know, treasure. John, do you worry, though, that if you're making the argument based on the sort of economics that the big ag interests in the Central Valley are like, yeah, but our industry is much bigger than that. So sure, you know, and we, we also have sympathetic stories of people who feel like this is their livelihood and have been at it for generations. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. But but I would say this about that. Um Three years ago, four years ago, before um, Gavin, well, right as Gavin Newsom was becoming governor, we had something on the order of 1.4 million acres in California planted in almonds. We go into a drought, and during that drought, we pick up another 300,000 acres in almonds. Um, so, yeah, they uh, their economy way outweighs that of the fishing industry. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, if we talk about just having a little bit of balance, a little bit of fairness, a little bit of compromise, how do we pick up 300,000 acres of extremely thirsty almonds that take a gallon to produce a single nut while our salmon are dying and our boats are tied up? Well, also, Alexis, I'd like to add, you know, I don't think it's fair to compare the economies of the salmon industry and the economies of the agriculture industry because we're not talking about equivalent species. Like the health of, you know, tree, like nut trees in California 
does not indicate the health of an ecosystem, Mm -hmm. whereas the health of salmon populations do indicate the health of an ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've done, I would say, listeners probably know this, a dozen shows in which when one way or another, it comes down to you got to fallow a bunch of acres of nut trees in the southern Central Valley. And like, maybe that won't happen. There's a lot of reasons why people push back in the agriculture industry. But there's so many different water management issues that are exacerbated by exactly those those plantings. And I think, at least from an environmental perspective, I think people have some pretty strong arguments against them. Um, let's bring in um, Cassiel Willie, who's staff attorney with Save California Salmon. Welcome. Hey, good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so... You know, your organization has advocated for salmon in our state. I mean, talk to me about how long you've been doing this work and how you're feeling about the current conditions for salmon. Sure. Um, so Safe California Salmon is a fairly new organization. Uh, we just became a 501c3 last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally have been working in the field just a year, mm-hmm. and it's been a lot to take on and mm. fully to fully understand and describe everything that's going on in the California water system is, you know, would take days probably. Mm. Um, but currently for the current situation, there's a lot of different um, things that we work on, um, which can be frustrating. We work a lot with the state water board in, you know, trying to get adequate flows for salmon. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a back and forth. Um, They've done the last couple of years with the drought. They had curtailment orders, which definitely there was an increase in um, fish populations, which was beneficial. Um, but, you know, it's just sort of a back and forth. Yeah. Um, how do you, your organization tries to bring sort of indigenous knowledge and perspective to some of these policy issues. Um Talk about the kinds of things that you bring to the table that you feel like get left out of the conversation otherwise. Yeah, so tribal perspective, you know, has been excluded in the water system since the establishment of the water rights system. Um, You know, this water rights system was based on property ownership, which, you know, tribal people weren't allowed to own property. And then the other part was appropriative rights, which are first in time, first in right, which, you know, obviously tribes were here first, but they still do not have access to those water rights. And so what we try and work towards is integrating tribal concerns into policy. Um, Part of that is, you know, the state water board and the regional water boards are working on implementing tribal beneficial uses and applying those to basin plans. And so we work a lot with advocating for those, uh, the implementation of those. But, um, you know, those issues with that as well, there's a, no no timeline for that. And a part of that, a major issue with that is for the Bay Delta plan. It's a state-run project. So, you know, it's left out of any of the region, regional basin mm. plans. And so, um, you know, there's no tribal beneficial uses being implemented there. Mm. But the Bay Delta was a huge life source for Delta tribes. And so we work with tribes and getting them to the table and getting them in those meetings, making their comments and having the water boards understand the importance of um, the species, any aquatic species, specifically salmon, to the tribes 
Um, let's bring in Brian in Petaluma, who has a question you might be able to answer. Brian, welcome. Hi there. Um, wondering, you mentioned the Klamath River Dam, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of wanted to hear a little bit more context of what what happened there. And mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned it was complicated. Just yeah, I kind of wanted to hear the story of sure. uh, that of the Klamath River. Yeah, because you know, um, so my understanding of this was that. Um, Basically, tribes were able to get a hold of these dams on the Klamath River and that they have been wanting to bring them down since, you know, 2016 or something. It was supposed to start in 2020. But now eventually, uh, or very soon, in fact, the dams are going to come down. Yeah. Yeah. So this was actually a 20-year battle. Um, It's kicked off with a major fish kill that happened in 2002. Uh, which left thousands of adult salmon dead. And this was before they were able to spawn. So, you know, nearly an entire fish generation was lost. And so that was pretty traumatic for a lot of those tribes. Um, The Yurok, Karuk, Koopa, and Klamath tribes, they've depended on salmon since time immemorial. Um, So that was a major, major event for them. Um, And so, yeah, they've been campaigning um, for the last 20 years and the approval just happened last fall or winter mm-hmm. or in December, I think. And then the they're supposed to come down by the end of 2024. And I think construction started at the beginning of March. So yeah. once those dams come down and the river can be restored to what it once was or close to what it once was, it's going to be a huge cultural revitalization for those tribes up there. Yeah. Huge deal, I think, that coming down with, you know, major victories over some of the richest people in the world. Berkshire Hathaway owned it, and and before that, some other folks, too. Um, Mm -hmm. John um, Rosenfield, real quick before we go, that that Klamath River watershed, too, is also, like, remarkably important, right, for the fish population. Yeah, the the Klamath River used to support the second or third largest um, salmon runs in the lower 48 states. Uh, and the taking down of those dams will will be a lo- go a long way to helping restore them. The Sacramento-San Joaquin system, the Central Valley system, uh, was either second or third largest, depending on, on the year with the Klamath. So also a major player. And since the Klamath has collapsed, uh, Klamath fisheries have collapsed, the Central Valley is really the dominant um, uh, watershed-producing salmon south of the Columbia River system. Thanks so much. We're talking about how climate change government policy exacerbating the challenges California salmon face with Jonathan Rosenfield with San Francisco Baykeeper, Danielle Venton with KQED News, John McManus with the Golden State Salmon Association, and Casil Willie with Save California Salmon. Stay tuned for more. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about how climate change and government policy are exasperating the challenges that salmon face here on the West Coast. We're joined by Danielle Venton, science reporter with KQED News. This is, of course, part of our Climate Fix ongoing series, our collaboration with the KQED science team. We're also joined by Jonathan Rosenfield, science director for San Francisco Baykeeper, John McManus, senior policy director with Golden State Salmon Association, and Cassil Willie, a staff attorney with Save California Salmon. Um, we got a full uh, board here, so let's get some phone calls in. Uh, Philip in Burlingame, welcome. Hi. Um, I'd like to really broaden the context here. You know, I'm a fisherman and an outdoorsman, and I appreciate the, that we have to maintain our fisheries. But, you know, we're in a 500-year drought. Lake Mead's at the lowest point it's ever been. Um, you know, killer whales have been attacking adult uh, whales down in Monterey Bay, never seen before. The seal populations are under pressure. We don't get any of the fish that used to be, you know, like the anchovies that used to be in the bay. The entire ecosystem is in collapse. We're in the sixth largest collapse in the history, you know, of the world. The, the trees in Lake Tahoe, because of the change in weather, a third or a quarter of the forests are, are dead. So, you know, can we talk about the larger context of this? This sure. isn't just because, you know, the nut trees are growing because they're providing food on our table. Um, you know, we on somebody's table, at least. It. Yeah. I, you know, this is yeah. interesting. This, Philip, I really, I, I take your point. I really appreciate that, um, that you're bringing this perspective to the table. I, th- I actually think this is a really interesting question. And Danielle, I'm going to come to you first. It's like, of course, it's difficult to parse out the global versus the local with any kind of climate change story. But to your read, is the problem here, or, or like how would you sort of like meet out the responsibility for the problems that the salmon are, are having, uh, climate change versus these other water management and, and important factors? Thank you, Philip, for this perspective. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate um, Philip's point, and we are in the midst of a 500-year drought. However, as, you know, as we've said and I want to acknowledge that these fish are under pressure from a lot of different areas. But like we've said, you know, these fish are very resilient when given a chance. And I believe uh, just back in the 80s, you know, we had years where there were millions of fish in a run. So what has changed in recent decades, even more than, you know, than this long-term drought, is is the pressure on our water system. Mm-hmm. So... If we, if we just throw up our hands and say, hey, we're in this time of a huge amount of global upheaval, you know, these, these fish are doomed. I don't think that scientists, I mean, scientists don't believe that that's accurate. Let's, let's get, you know, John's take on this yeah, also. John, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, there are obviously a lot of challenges facing the world right now. And it sounds like your next uh, segment here will be um, also, <laughs> also about that. Um, and it's important, I think, to focus on, well, two things. One is there are 
things that we do control that we have direct management control over, like flow of water in our rivers and how much cold water, how cold water is managed upstream. And then there are things that we don't have control over um, or such immediate control over um, that, you know, happen all the time. And, and the salmon have dealt with variations. They've dealt with longer than 500 year droughts um, in California and, and floods and fires, right? So they're survivors and the thing that they're not able to survive is us. The other thing that I would um, uh, say about the caller's point, which which is excellent, is that these other problems, climate change, drought, right, are driven by neglect, our neglect of living systems. And this is mirrored by our neglect of river systems um, and and how much water we divert and how we we treat and manage rivers as basically conveyances to to agricultural diversions. Mm. Um, so it's really part and parcel of the same problem. Um, and you know it, it's a it's a microcosm unless we can find the will to do what science says we need to do, then uh, we're going to be in trouble. If you waive water quality standards that are designed to protect species, water quality standards that are already too weak, um, then the fish and wildlife they're designed to protect are not going to be protected. It's as simple as that. Um, and, and again, there's sh- certainly there's more that needs to be done, but if we can't get a grip on uh, something like how to manage these reservoirs and how we use water uh, within the water that nature provides for us. If we can't get a grip on that, then then you know we're going to be in sad shape with other problems that the caller mentioned. Yeah, also, I, I mean, you know, there are things we can do at a local level and at a state level to improve the situation, even as we know that the global picture also needs to change radically. Um, as as we were talking about just yesterday, as a matter of fact. <laughs> um, Let's bring in Jared in Roner Park. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me on. So, Jared, what's what's happening with you? Yeah, uh, well, let's see. I'm the uh, owner and operator of a charter fishing vessel that runs out of Sausalito called the Salty Lady. And, um, you know, we have a history, a reputation, and a, and a clientele that's really quite specific to salmon fishing. So, you know, as it's been brought up, this uh, this closure is devastating. It really is devastating for myself and others' counterparts in this industry, as well as a lot of other supporting industries all up and down the coast. So it's unfortunate. It didn't really have to happen, in my opinion. A lot of the water rights issues that have been brought up already, um, legislations, uh you know, that that seemed to readily and consistently cross party lines. By the way, I heard uh, a little bit about Newsom and I heard uh, Newsom and Trump's name mentioned in the same sentence at once at one point. And I, I don't imagine Newsom likes that very much. But, um, you know, it's uh, it does seem to cross party lines. And that's the uh, the root of this issue is the water rights. And it's uh, it's just tragic because I don't think it really has to be that way. Yeah. Um, Jared, so what does this mean for you? Like, what do you what do you do? Do you try and shift to like retool your boat, go after other species? Like, how how do you deal with this? Well, sure, there are other fish in the sea. You know, the, the halibut fishing has actually been quite good so far this season. Rockfish and uh, and cod fishing is uh, is available. There's whale watching charters that I might do, but um, nothing compares to salmon. You know, neither as as table fare nor as a uh, driving force that would um, bring customers to my 
to my boat and my business. That's for sure. Yeah. Do you think you'll uh, go out of business, or do you think you'll just like kind of bat down the hatches and and wait it out? Well, I mean, if nothing else, fishermen are, are a resilient crowd. These fish are resilient, and fishermen are resilient as well. So I'm hoping to be able to stick it out. Um, yeah. So we'll see. You know, it's going to be a tough year. I'm going to have to tighten the belt and eat a lot of top ramen this year, perhaps. Jared, last thing before I let you go. I, I know, you know, in an ideal world, you don't think this ban should have had to happen. But given the situation that the salmon are in now, like, do you agree with the idea of, of not fishing them so the population can get, you know, back going? Oh, for sure. Like I said, I don't think we had to get to this point, but myself, all the other fishermen I know, the fishing industry as a whole uh, supports the ban this year. Fishing on numbers that are as low as they are right now will screw us up into the future, and it would just be reckless and irresponsible. Mm -hmm. I hope we can get some of the water rights fixed. And there's some other issues, too. I think hatchery mitigation is going to play a part in the solution. You know, um, uh, that's Part of, part of the deal, hatchery um, mitigation can uh, provide a, a, a reasonable fishery as well as um, recolonize some of the native runs to our rivers. Hey, Jared, thanks uh, so much for your perspective. Um, that's a, that, great to hear from you, and thanks for calling in. Um, I wanted to uh, bring another comment from Marjorie in. Uh, to what extent can local creek restoration help with supporting salmon populations? Can such efforts supplement restoration of flows into the delta and maintain a better balance between delta flows and water transports? If that's a good idea, how can local communities and nonprofits evaluate when creek restoration makes sense and when it does not? Cecile Wheeler, actually, I'm going to come to you on this one first, and maybe then we'll go to you know Danielle or Jonathan. Yeah, uh, creek restoration is definitely something that is impactful uh depending especially depending on where in the watershed you are if you're in a spot where you know they're the local ecosystem the repairing quarter has been devastated you know built right up to and there's no tree cover or anything like that um definitely restoring that bringing back some trees bringing back native vegetation um definitely helps restore the ecosystem um helps clean the water uh tribes use a lot of tule which is a native plant and helps clean the water. But, you know, coming um, since the development of California, you know, a lot of those have been cleared out. So there's less opportunity for the water to be cleaned by those native plants. Um, but it's definitely something that is beneficial if you're able to do it. Um, or there's often um, nonprofits or local agencies that uh, work to do creek restoration. So finding some of those in your local area to help out with. Um, I'm sure they could use the help. You know, we actually have a caller on um, a local creek here. Um, Liz in San Lorenzo, welcome. Yes, welcome. Um, yeah, I mean, hello. <laughs> yes, um, I'm friends, friends of San Lorenzo Creek, and not this winter, but last winter, we had a bunch of salmon come up the creek. Wow. Uh, they came up uh, through the cement waterway into where the cement ended at Foothill and Hayward, um, they were blocked, so they all died. Mm. Um, we know that this is a uh, creek that salmon have run up before. 
Uh, we recorded them. We uh, took pictures of them. So we would like this opened up. I think that we are talking about large, larger waterways like rivers, but creeks are really important. And right now the San Lorenzo Creek is running very nicely. Um, so if this was unblocked, they would have continued up mm-hmm. into the area of the creek that was not cemented over. So they were coming up the cement area that was all cemented mm-hmm. and trying to get into mm-hmm. the creek there. The creek splits. Uh, the, well, the creek comes down, I think it's called Canyon or whatever, and it runs into what creates the San Lorenzo Creek. Um, and there were Ohlone that in the split area, they found Ohlone um, uh, artifacts and stuff. So mm-hmm. there were uh, Ohlone yeah. using that area to fish. But a lot of these small creeks, uh, San Leandro, San Lorenzo, there's a lot of them that spill into the Bay Area, and they are completely ignored. Yeah. And uh, being five generations in the Bay Area, I remember going out and catching salmon yeah. right there. Huh. You didn't have to go far. Yeah. But we need to pay attention to the small creeks as well as the big rivers yeah. and whatever. They're Let all me- part of it. Yeah, thank you so much, Liz. It is true. I mean, they call it a watershed for, for a reason, right? It's this larger system. And Jonathan um, Rosenfield um, from SF Baykeeper, you know, one of my questions on the small creeks, and, and Daniel, you may also have something to add to this as well. In these times of kind of drought and deluge where we know that there's going to be years where, you know, the San Lorenzo is running great, and then there's going to be years where maybe it's not running at all. Like, how do we portion out this effort to these kinds of restorations? Like, should we be focusing on the the larger um, river areas where we know there's more likely to be water on a consistent basis over time? Does it matter? Well, I, I mean, I think it's it doesn't have to be an either or, right? I mean, people can act. I mean, the, the discussion that we're in now just demonstrates how powerful salmon are in motivating people and weaving us together, right? We in, you know, on the Pacific Coast, all the communities have a salmon story and a creek that at least once used to support salmon, and uh, it's great to go out there and um, work on those creeks. Um, the work that needs to be done depends on what the damage is, but almost invariably, it's a matter of having enough water in that creek. There there may be habitat restoration that can help, meaning uh, planting tules and, and trees to shade the creek and right undoing some of the concrete, yeah. uh, that damage needs to be undone. But without a s- sufficient supply of water in the creeks or in the major rivers, um, you know, the salmon for salmon, the habitat is the water. <laughs> um, and, and of course, they, you know, the, the stream should be in a, a functional condition. So I, I wouldn't say it's an either or. I think people can learn a lot and it's helpful to uh, populations and to the local environment to restore, uh, have your local creek be flowing in a way that supports the salmon that used to spawn there. Uh, but that effort is in terms of uh, ocean fisheries. Uh, or restoring tribal fisheries, or uh, providing enough food for our local orca whale population, which specializes in feeding on salmon. Uh, you really need these major river systems, which integrate all the creeks that feed into them, uh, mm-hmm. the Sacramento, San Joaquin, the Klamath, etc. Uh, and the major problems there are 
problems of not having enough water and enough cold water. Yeah. Um, Donna, listener Donna, uh, writes in to say, we should do everything possible to use this example of what we are doing to salmon to try to move California more towards sustainability in all things. Human beings have turned into environmental wreckers, and we need to learn to live sustainably. Um, Casile, I hear you may have um, some actions coming up for people who might want to get involved around this issue. Yeah, so we are trying to or starting to organize a day of action at the state capitol for June 6th. Um, so far, we're reaching out to tribes, nonprofits, um, commercial fishing uh, organizations, just sort of garnering support for salmon protection and water protection. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Um, definitely show up and help support that on June 6th if you're able to. Um, we're just, we really want to bring attention to this major issue. Um, hopefully, get the governor's office to take notice that. You know, we're very concerned about this and uh, definitely need some help. Um, Danielle Benton, if you want to kind of sum it up for for folks here at the end, like what do you think they really need to take away from this going into these next few years? Because, you know, we're guessing based on what we've been told by, you know, John McManus and Jonathan Rosenfield that next year is also going to be pretty bad. Like how, do, how should people prepare themselves? Well, <laughs> You know, there's a couple of things that I keep in mind. I mean, the the story of salmon struggling is not a uh, people versus the environment story, right? This is a, you know, salmon are also about people. It's also true that when this gets distilled to uh, fish versus uh, food, fish versus farm, that's not necessarily a helpful framing. Um And it's a false equivalency to think that we either have one or the other. I mean, our water-intensive, incredibly profitable crops in the Central Valley are not the last defense between us and starvation. So when we think about balancing the needs of this state and trying to prepare for a more resilient, excellent future for our kids, you know, we need to think about where our priorities are, what sustainability really looks like. We are probably in for a couple of rough years, but here we had this this excellent, you know, um, water-rich year. We're also seeing restorations along the Klamath. Uh, you know, there is hope out there yeah. Uh, yeah. if we take the steps towards <laughs> that. This has been, that's a good place to end, our latest edition of Climate Fix, our collaboration with the KQED science team. We've been talking about how climate change and government policy are exacerbating the challenges that California salmon face. We have been joined by Danielle Venton, talking through a lost voice science reporter with KQED News. We've also been joined by Jonathan Rosenfield, science director with San Francisco Baykeeper, John McManus, senior policy director with Golden State Salmon Association, and Cassiel Willie, staff attorney with Save California Salmon. Thank you so much to all of our listeners and guests. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.